Welcome, bimbos, himbos, and bembos to A Catalepsis, the podcast brought to you this week from the future. Sponsored this week by Horny Gay Thoughts Incorporated. <laughs> and by from the future, I assume Sarah means the fact that we didn't record last week, so this is technically last week's episode. Um, that was in large part because I got COVID, which kind of threw all of our schedules out of whack, even though I was technically like up and capable of recording at the time we would usually record this. <laughs> um, yeah, that sucked a lot. Um, I'm mostly all right though, now, though. <laughs> Take your um, vaccines, kids. Yeah, uh, yeah, speaking of which, I got my uh, booster shot two weeks before I got uh, sick with it, and it was still miserable. I don't want to imagine what it would have been like without it. So, Yikes. yeah, y'all, get your damn vaccines. <laughs> Okay, so a couple of notes this week. Um, you had something to say before we started, I think. Oh, yeah. So uh, just so you know, um, at this point in the story, uh, there's an ebook version of the story and the online version. The ebook version has generally cleaned up uh, grammar, any typos have been uh, pulled out, general editing, and also like a few points have been edited for clarity. Um. We're still going to be going with the online version just because it's easiest to work with in our notes, and also it's what most people are going to be able to like read along with this with, I think. But anyways, you should get the ebook. When it becomes relevant, when there's like significant edits, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, there are a few specific points at which the um, certain characters have been edited for for clarity without saying too yeah, much. Yeah, for clarity. Yeah, basically. Um, but, uh, yeah, essentially at this point in the story, before this point, all of the chapters online were, uh, copy edited to match the ebook version. Um, so just, you know, from this point on, if you have the ebook version and you're following along and we read a quote, it's possible there could be a couple words that are different, but that's it. Also yep. go by the ebook version. <laughs> it's good. Catalepsis is good. Catalepsis is good controversial opinion on the catalepsis podcast um <laughs> yeah uh shall we talk chapter summaries sure um you want to go straight into summaries or overall thoughts um summaries first then let's see about thoughts okay so in 2.3 evelyn and heather talk some more after that castle metaphor from the last chapter this is for clarity after Evelyn has gone through her own metaphor of what the castle is, but before Heather has constructed the in-depth version that we talked about at the end of last session. Evelyn starts to discuss some more details on magic, and specifically what Heather, how what Heather does is different. She describes it as self-implementing hyperdimensional mathematics, and gives Heather one of the books she has on the subject. Heather asks after Evelyn's mother, who taught her magic, seems to bring up mixed memories, to say the least. The two of them make their way out of the library. On their way out, they meet a new girl, Twill, who is waiting for them outside. Twill seems to take an exception to Heather being with Evelyn, and more specifically being in the library. She references a deal that Evelyn is breaking, though we don't know the details. Twill makes a decidedly non-human growl at this. Heather finds a wellspring of courage from somewhere and insults Twill before backhanding her. Quill seems about ready to throw down before Evelyn beats her head in with, a, with her cane before the two run off, Heather panicking and calling Rain in the aftermath. Um, 
In 2.4, Evelyn and Heather make it to the relative safety of the medieval, medieval metaphysics department. Heather has an adrenaline crash, and Evelyn, though, she pops some painkillers, or possibly painkillers, uh, Heather isn't so sure, and starts doing blood magic with a mirror. There's a bit of debate over whether Twill is or is not dangerous, and therefore deserves to be attacked with magic or not, which ends up getting interrupted by Rain. Evelyn is generally abrasive, and Rain gets the details about Twill's attack. And it turns out that Twill is a werewolf, which is lampshaded so heavily. It just, Heather is so derisive of the concept. Um, but we also learn that Twill is part of a Brinkwood cult that worships something from the outside, and they apparently turned her into something akin to a werewolf. They're apparently also the less dangerous cult in the area, though. Uh, and Evelyn and Rain have no solid answers for why Twill accosted Evelyn. And then, at the end of the chapter, Twill, or presumably Twill, knocks on the door. Somehow you managed to avoid uh, mentioning that 2.4 is basically gay conflict, the chapter. Yeah, I, it's basically just sniping back and forth. It's, yeah, not not high on plot momentum, high on uh, petty griping. Lots of petty griping. Interpersonal, interpersonal conflict. Let's give them a little bit of charity. Sure, fine. <laughs> um, oh, also, we're told that um, uh, Twill may or may not have had a thing for Rain back in the day, making her yet another gay girl added to the cast. <laughs> it's it's very deliberately unclear, especially since this is from Heather's perspective, exactly how much happened and how much Rain either enabled, asked for, or sort of encouraged without saying no. As, yeah. as well as the details as what actually physically happened. Yeah, it's also notable that Evelyn kind of isn't helping here because she drops a lot of sniping about um, uh, Rain and Twill's quote-unquote relationship, and it's really unclear how much of it is true, fully made up just for the purpose of sniping at Rain, or that Evelyn thinks is true, but Rain is lying about. And especially since it's all from Heather's perspective, we have no idea. Yep. <laughs> all right. It's interesting that even, even in retrospect, knowing all we do about this, these characters, it is still somewhat ambiguous how much is just Evie being petty and how much is like, oh no, Rain is kind of just like that. Yeah, it's... Yeah... Also, something which I think can't be... It's easy to let this drop into the background, and I think the narrative leaves it so easy to drop into the background on purpose, but Evelyn just popped a bunch of pills right before all this conflict happened. Mm-hmm. It's entirely... Like... I mean, if she was just pop... If she was popping, like, prescription painkillers, like uh, some kind of mild opioid or something, to... I mean... That's really different than some of the other drugs she could be taking in terms of how it might disrupt her capacity for reasoned thought and care. But I mean, I could also see it being like a tranquilizer for, to somewhat numb the um, the anxiety attack that she was clearly in the midst of. It could be any number of things. Yeah. Anyways, do you want to get there in order or first? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, we're getting somewhat ahead of ourselves here. Uh-huh. So 2.3. Mm -hmm. um 
I had a, there was a long quote that I wanted to start with, but mm-hmm. bad form of me, but it's all kind of relevant. Sure. Um, mm, well, your eye, I think it's been feeding you hyperdimensional mathematics and oh, access and method. For, hmm? Sorry, just to be clear, this is Evelyn talking to Heather. Yes, sorry, my bad there. Mm-hmm. Um, your eye, I think it's been heat feeding you hyperdimensional mathematics and access method for the reality, for the layer of reality, which underpins everything, the stuff magic manipulates. When you transported yourself to that world of rock and stone outside, it took you minutes. Rain told me, no tools, no knowledge, no books. That spell took me over an hour. You skipped magic and went straight to the result. Her voice was low, serious, admiring. It left me uncomfortable and lost a lot of blood and my lunch. Mm, I don't recommend you make a habit of it. The human mind was never meant to jam itself into the gears of reality so unprotected. So... There's a lot going on here. Um, but like right at the start, I wanted to know the interesting way in which what Heather does is being differentiated from magic. Mm-hmm. Because in a lot of fantasy, any sort of sufficiently supernatural phenomena tends to be grouped together into the same like category of things be it magic or ritual or any other word that you're using to describe it, even if it's different studies or different effects, mm-hmm. it's all under the same umbrella. But here, that is very much not the case. Evelyn is directly saying, you skipped magic. What you did is not that, even mm-hmm. if it looks similar on the surface to what I did. And Heather immediately counters by saying, yeah, but it still cost me. It's still like it, it mm-hmm. took something from me. And that most notably, um, Heather, or sorry, Evelyn, basically almost, I don't want to say she gives the game away, but she inadvertently makes a very um, specific parallel when she says the human mind was never meant to jam itself into the gears of reality so unprotected. That yeah. what we can infer from that is that what costs her isn't an inherent part of the magic, like what, with what Evelyn does, mm-hmm. where we can infer that like, oh, a certain spell would likely need certain components, certain rituals, certain behaviors, um, would, would exact a certain price to perform. Heather's, what Heather does isn't like that. It isn't an, an inherent part of, the, part of what she does. It's the fact that her human mind is rebelling against what she is doing. It it almost feels like Heather is um, Heather is shorting a circuit to turn a piece of equipment on by sticking her fingers in the socket. Exactly, that's a really good analogy for it. Mm-hmm. And as as the story goes on, certain aspects of what she does become not necessarily easier, but more by rote because we've seen them so many times before. Mm-hmm. And it's still described as an awful process, but it's somewhat downplayed. And part of that is obviously the narrative. You can't describe something horrible happening in the exact same way for the 35th time and expect it to have the same impact. Right. So like part of it is that. But also, it isn't that Heather gets better at it, like a, like a normal mm. skill, like she gets more practice. It's the fact that as her mind gets further and further away from being human, the price diminishes. Honestly... That's definitely one way to read it, but like we talked in a previous episode, um, making an analogy back to um, uh, like another work of fiction which had talked about similar subjects before. And to some extent, I don't think you necessarily need to pull on the idea that Heather's becoming more inhuman 
to get to becoming more used to this. To some extent, it could just be like um, humans can undergo training to undergo extremely miserable con like conditions or amounts of exercise which really fuck up their body. And training can make you more capable of enduring that, even if it's not necessarily making you strictly better at, like, your body better at tolerating it. So it's hard to say how much, oh, is Heather actually being made more inhuman by her contact with the outside, or is it just Heather's getting more used to getting her brain caught in the gears of reality? <laughs> I guess on some level I would ask, like, where you're drawing the line. Because, like, ultimately, like, what we're even defining as human here is nebulous at best. Yeah. So, like, depending on how you're, how you're looking at that definition, I could easily see that within the bounds of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um. Anyways, uh, mind if I mention something about the magic real quick, actually? Yeah, go for it. So, something I really liked is, um, so the magic is referred to as self-implementing uh, hyperdimensional mathematics, right? where the idea is basically that there is some base layer of reality on which math matters more than matter, which is kind of funny, actually. The standard model of physics is basically just that um, everything is math anyway. And I mean that on a very literal level. Like, you can define particles as, uh, like, excitations of elements of something called a normal subgroup. It's... Physicists have gotten very, very good at describing the world as mathematics, right? Mm -hmm. But the self-implementing part I find is interesting because we typically think of our brains and our thoughts as being something other than physical reality, right? Or there being some level of separation or we typically don't think of them in a very physical way, right? But mm -hmm. anything which can be described to have information or anything like that all exists physically, right? There is physical structure to it. It just happens that for the most part, our brain doesn't like interact with stuff very directly, right? Mm -hmm. Like your brain has to send signals down through your neurons to get uh, your uh, body to move typically before we interact with stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But like I could make a computer where when a certain set of um, uh, bits flip, it can directly trigger another electrical circuit, which like directly dumps energy, like electricity into a laser, right? That's something you can do. Mm -hmm. The physical state of something doing computation or thinking can actually be directly hooked up to reality. And it's interesting to think that what Heather might be doing is kind of something like that just the idea that um certain thoughts may physically share a pattern with a laser and they may create the conditions for lasing to happen um or in her case some kind of dimensional drift and it's just that the thoughts which can happen outside whatever patterns information can form out there there is a more it is more common there for there to be a direct connection between those structures and physical implementations, is it seems to be what it's saying. Does that make any sense? 
No, it definitely does. There's a quote that I isolated later on that talks about this. So I don't want to get too into it, but like it brings up really interesting questions in how you'd even study this or retain knowledge of it. Because even to, even to remember that these things would be to act on them because the, the physical nature of it, it's self implementing, Mm -hmm. right? So like to even have the knowledge would be to act on it. Yeah, which is really interesting. It brings up all kinds of questions, for instance, um, how someone would learn this stuff. Almost like maybe they would learn how to do it by repeatedly having it done to them over and over again. <laughs> it's almost like the the way that Heather describes it, it's always like digging into the depths of her mind where the mm-hmm. eye left these things. It mm-hmm. almost makes me think that like... Mm-hmm. The, these are skills which can be taught but cannot be learned, if that makes sense. Well, I might actually say it's entirely possible that, you know, all the slipping which happened to Heather as a kid? Mm-hmm. Might be that's how you learn this stuff. If the act of thinking about uh, these things implements them, maybe the, it's literally not possible to teach it to somebody without forcing them to slip in the process. Yeah. Which is like how odd. how would you how would you give a lecture to, to use your example? How would you give a lecture on like a a laser and on how a laser works if while talking about the mathematics that make the laser work would spawn a laser? Yeah. Certainly does explain why so many people in this story uh like everything we're told so far about magic and these various cults and whatnot why none of them seem terribly well (laughs) it's also interesting because this is only lampshaded right now because we haven't really like most of our contact with magic has either been through um evelyn or heather learning about this stuff but like as we get into later like what heather does even if it looks like on the surface what magicians Mm -hmm. do it is very different and it makes people very visibly uncomfortable what Heather does and how she does it. Yeah. Because I, it's not normal. Yeah, I think the implication is basically um what we might actually be able to think about in terms of the fractal, right? The fractal is some set of patterns which um uh creates a physical effect on the world, right? What people like Evelyn do is they do stuff like draw mm-hmm. that pattern. Um which may involve like a much larger rich ritual circle like what she used to go outside, right? But in Evelyn's case certain thoughts may create neural impulses or things which aren't neurons like for instance we are told she has this feeling of like being bruised in some organ which doesn't exist for all we know that's part of her brain (laughs) um yeah but so it could be that having certain thoughts physically creates that pattern out of firing electrical impulses or uh, uh, or whatnot, and that—that's how she creates the effects. She's physically carving the fractal into her brain, or something similar. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, actually, also, quick note. I'm not I... going to make an FMA reference. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Full Metal Alchemist. Uh... Yeah, I was going to say something like um, Roy Mustang's glove with his oh. circle on the back of it being so that he can he can skip the 
mm-hmm. if the process, if the if the outcome is a is a predetermined set of it, of acceptable like similar yeah. outcomes. Yeah. Oh, actually, quick uh, comment about the brain, which I think some of our listeners might find kind of funny, um, or interesting at least. Uh, did you know the current research on how neurons works suggests that electrical impulses are not strictly how neurons function? There's, I mean, there's electrical impulses in there. Don't get me wrong. There's huge um, ion differentials and that discharge, right? Um, mm-hmm. But models of the brain which assume that neural transmission is happening entirely by... Uh, discharges of ions across um, uh, neural connections don't work. Like, they do not accurately model what is happening in the brain. Um, mm-hmm. But there has been, I, I, there's different theories on exactly what the missing component might be. But one of the missing, one of the theories which has the best matching to reality is that uh, sound actually is the missing component. Um, really? Yeah, the ion discharges, it looks like they create um, ripples in the uh, uh, in your dendrites and axons, which the ripples themselves essentially help the ion pulse to self-cohere and stay together. And there's like a relationship back and forth with um, uh, the electrical differentials creating these ripples along the strands, and then the ripples helping the ions to propagate as they go down the uh, system. Um, and part of it is is that you can actually have signals going opposite directions along an, uh, like a strand of uh, gray matter, and they can pass one another without interfering. And that right, which wouldn't make sense if it's just action differentials. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't really make sense if it's just ions. That that shouldn't work like that. Um, Mm -hmm. or at least there should be more disruption to the signal than we see. Um, Mm -hmm. But if there are these combined Ripley electron, like Ripley ion things, then they could, the models indicate they could pass through one another much more easily, which matches what we see. Mm. But yeah, this is is just to tell y'all, we know a lot less about the brain than we sometimes might think. And there's new discoveries going on all the time. And um, yeah, it's a really neat thing. And uh, Brain's weird. Yeah. Brain eldritch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so speaking of decidedly mm-hmm. less eldritch matters, um, mm-hmm. there is this moment right, right after that whole bit about like magic and mathematics that I kind of really like mm-hmm. um, where Heather notes, this would have been the perfect time to ask the question. We were on the subject. Evelyn was taking me seriously. Ask it. Do it. Mm-hmm. I willed myself. But I circled away to safer waters. Coward. And so, yeah. like, it, just in case our audience, like, isn't quite getting this, the question, at least so far as I can tell, is whether Evelyn is involved with Rain in any capacity. Really? Um, at least wait, that was my it? impression here. Ba-ba-ba. See, I didn't get that at all. Um, what did you get? I thought she was going to be asking about whether or not Evelyn could help her rescue Maisie. Oh. Um, because immediately before that, um, uh, Evelyn is basically telling her that she can do all this magic and explaining to her that Heather can do these kinds of magic. I think she was going to ask, can you help me learn what I need to do to rescue Maisie? 
interestingly, the point that I was trying to make still works, even mm-hmm. despite that, which is basically that even in the midst of all this, like, talk about magic and Elder Tor and all this, that the thing that keeps Heather grounded is still those interpersonal ties to the people who, who she cares about. Yeah. That, like, even, even during all of this, it's, it's not like, can I learn magic to keep myself safe or can I learn magic to, mm-hmm. I don't know, keep the eye away or whatever. It's, can I learn magic so I can help the people I care about? Yeah. Um, also, actually, I just wanted to note, when Heather does explicitly talk about Maisie earlier, um, she says, uh, it's like, third stage of grief, I said. I can't accept she's dead. Um, I want to find Maisie, right? Mm-hmm. And I just find the phrasing there very interesting. Third stage of grief. It's very Yeah, cl- I wanted to dig into that, too. It's clinical, isn't it? Yes. Um, the, it's the Kubler-Ross stage of, stages of grief. Yeah, well, but uh, I don't put too much stock in the notion that there are specific stages of grief going through. So far as I'm aware, there's no concrete evidence. I have a whole thing on this. Okay. What I wanted to say about it is just it feels like Heather is intellectualizing and distancing herself from her grief here. And I just think that's interesting to note. Um, I, I think it's a very, it's very good characterization of what somebody in Heather's shoes might be doing. Yes. That is the case. Um, so for those who aren't aware, the, uh, the, the, the grief model she's referencing is the Kubler-Ross um, model of grief, which the stages of grief in order are denial, anger, bargaining, grief, acceptance, or I guess more depression. But so, bar- so bargaining is the third stage here? Yes. So there's a couple of interesting, first of all, just about the model itself, um, these stages are an oversimplification. There are more mm-hmm. stages than just this that have been recognized since this model. This is just the one that gained like really wide popularity and helped statistically large numbers of people. Also, uh, like these stages don't death. necessarily have to happen in order and are not definitive mm-hmm. of like people's actual models of grief. They aren't mm-hmm. experienced linearly. You can backtrack. It's basically just a lot more complicated than this. Mm-hmm. But this is something that got a lot of widestream appeal, which is why people still reference it. Mm-hmm. And it does help some people to be able to sort of catalog their journey through mm-hmm. through this. Um, and it also, like, it isn't an endpoint. The the way um, even the, like, original person who came up with with the stages is kind of like, yeah, it's just more complicated than this. I was just kind of yeah. putting this out there as, like a, <laughs> as a theory, and then people oh. got really attached to it. And it's more <laughs> like a... Sometimes it can reference more like a cycle where you go through stages of like Mm -hmm. anger to bargaining to depression, acceptance, and then back into denial. Uh It's just, it's, it's not, it's, it's more complicated than all this. Um, But the interesting thing is that if we had to reference one of these stages at all, um, I would put Heather much closer to denial than I would bargaining. Oh, better even totally anger. Right. right? Because Evelyn straight up says to her, "Um, uh, your sister is dead. She's been dead for ten years. There's nothing to rescue. Nothing human can survive out there for that long." Evelyn, Evelyn, at least, and we have seen Evelyn be very clearly wrong about stuff before, especially with regards to he- uh, Heather and magic, right? So I don't want to. I don't want to necessarily say Evelyn is infallibly correct here, but 
but Evelyn has a really strong no opinion. No one is here. in the story. Yeah. Evelyn has a super strong opinion here, though, which is Maisie is fucking dead. <laughs> you don't survive. And if nothing ten. else, Heather has full reason to believe her. She is the best knowledge that she has on the subject. Yeah. Well, hell, actually, just um, Heather's personal experience suggests here that um, Evelyn is correct. Like, even short experiences to outside have been a literal nightmare for Evelyn. And just a short... For Heather. Thank you, for Heather. I was about to say, because for Evelyn, too, because when Evelyn and Heather went outside yeah. together, they almost fucking died. In her case, it would be experience singular so far, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, uh, they've got absolutely every single reason to believe that just there's no way Maisie survived out there. There's no way a freaking, what, were they like nine, ten when this happened? I thought the the time skip is ten years, isn't it? So I thought they were yeah. closer to seven or eight. Yeah, well, uh, Heather's like eighteen or nineteen, right? I think somewhere around there, because she's in college, so. Yeah. A anyways, they were young kids. There's absolutely every single reason to think Maisie's dead. There's no reason, like, how to put it this way? This would if be like set, like someone sending like. Like uh -huh. like the astronauts on the moon mission walking outside without a spacesuit. I was actually going to go for something more mundane. I was going to say, this is like dropping Maisie in a forest. Yep. You, you drop an eight-year-old kid in the middle of a forest with no way to get back to civilization, there is no reason to think you can mount a rescue mission ten years later. <laughs> and that's not even outside. Yeah. That's just the forest. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Heather is way in the denial stage here. Like, mm -hmm. what? Actually, what she, do you think? she herself mm -hmm. says it. Like, let me yeah. find the actual quote. Um, I can't accept that she's dead. She says mm -hmm. it herself. Yeah. Actually, on that note, actually, what do you think a genuine bargaining stage for Heather would look like? That would look a lot more like... It depends on what she's valuing, right? Mm -hmm. And so, again, like, these stages of grief are complicated, oversimplified, blah, 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 blah. But, like, assuming she's in that quote-unquote stage, it would depend on what she's valuing. Because, like, it... So, like, if... Let's say if Maisie did survive but turned into some kind of an, an inhuman creature from which there was, like, no turning back and she wasn't her anymore, bargaining might be fine, but I'm, like... I won't get Maisie back, but I'm taking what she she turned into, even if it's not her anymore. Or oh. it might look like, fine, I mm -hmm. like, what's it called? Maisie is dead, but I'm taking her body back. Or I'll make the mm -hmm. eye die for it. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. It could be any number of things, depending on what her priorities are. Yeah. Um... Anyways, uh, speaking of people... And again, that, that's why there's crossover between, like, so, like, um, yeah. you can see how, like, in the bargaining stage, let's say that she wanted her body back, that could very easily cross over into depression because she wants to be able to properly mourn. Or uh, yeah. if she wants to kill the eye, that would cross over into anger. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> but she's still deep in denial for now. <laughs> yep. Which may or may not be justified, but we'll see. Um... Speaking of people who are majorly fucked up by family issues, though, can we talk a bit about Evelyn's family <laughs> issues? 
Yeah, I have that quote, and it's just like, I just have this single word, yikes, right under it. <laughs> uh, which which quote's that? Is that, um... Uh, That's the one, your face was like an open book. Where was that? I'll just read the whole thing. This is um after oh, after right. Heather asks about, about um Evelyn's mom. And Evelyn says, your face was like an open book. Whatever ridiculous faux pastoral notions you have about my family, they're wrong. I, I was only, my mother is dead, a fact for which I am thankful every day I live. I mentioned her only because I have to, because what little I have on magic is, is whatever I pulled from her grip. And unsaid in that is pulled from her probably still warm corpse. Yeah, it's... It's really notable, actually. Evelyn talks about like her great grandmother having created this servitor, right? Mm-hmm. And there's kind of the question of, well, if she knew how to do that, why doesn't Evelyn, right? Mm-hmm. And then you hear here, it doesn't sound like Evelyn's mother taught her anything. It sounds like Evelyn no. looted her corpse, <laughs> or otherwise that, just like, in... yeah, or otherwise just extracted lessons from an abusive mother. We haven't really talked about this in particular, but it's interesting that, like, in the contrast where Evelyn doesn't talk a lot about her grandmother, but there's always this, like, it's not necessarily warm, but at least a tone of, like, grudging respect. Well, like Her, her great-grandmother, right? Her great-grandmother, yeah, my yeah. bad. Um, that, like, she may not have known her personally or, like, mm-hmm. had any, like, specifically good emotions tied to her, but at the very least, she's like, she did these things and they still work as she designed them even all this time later, even if yeah. I can't exactly replicate what she did or what she knew. But yeah. Evelyn does not talk that way about her mother. Not at all, no. Um, yeah, Evelyn's got some fucked up history there, clearly. Um, mm-hmm. For now, though, Heather is um, kind of too timid to push further or to think about it further. Um. So actually, I mind if I actually just add up a couple comments about Evelyn's mother, which aren't really to do with her relationship with Evelyn. Yeah, go for it. Um, let's see. One is um, oh, just something I found kind of interesting was <sighs> Evelyn says uh, another way to think of the castle metaphor, right? Which her mother was fond of is that. God was a poor workman who left a lot of holes in reality. And I find specifically the religious nature of that sentiment fascinating because I I never grew up religious. I grew up around a fair amount of religious people, uh, went to a shocking amount of Sunday school just inadvertently for someone who has never had any familial grounding in any sort of religion whatsoever. Um, My sympathies and likewise. (laughs) Yeah. um, Which is to say that I'm often very interested in how religious thoughts works, and I'm fairly familiar with a lot of it, but I've always felt kind of like an outsider to most of it. And I I find this in fantasy stories fascinating because the fundamental premise of catalepsis is largely incompatible with most standard Christian thought here, and I'm assuming we're working with the Christian God, um, given that this is the UK. <laughs> um, but So catalepsis is fundamentally incompatible with a lot of Christian theology, um, though I have no doubt that 
many Christians, if exposed to this, could find, could come to an understanding, right? Christians throughout history have always uh, found their worldviews challenged, just like everybody else. And there's 2,000 years of evidence that people are very good at incorporating what you see in the physical world into what your theology discusses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I'm really interested in what would that look like in this universe? How did Evelyn's mother, who was apparent, who apparently believed in God, how did she contextualize that? Did, was she derisive of the Bible, but still believed in God? Was she actually rather faithful? I mean, maybe not. She seems to refer to God as a, quote, poor workman, but was she a deist? And and is this is this typical among mages, or are there su- sincerely devout religious people among mages who aren't, like, worshipping outsiders or something, but... I, w- I would raise <sighs> a different question. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to be a Christian and believe in God and yet not worship him? Ooh, that's a complicated question. Uh, the Satanists would say yes, <laughs> but that's a bit that of a loaded I'd topic. Argue is what um is is what Evelyn's mom seems like she was doing because like she she seems mm. to believe that God existed. She just doesn't give a rat's ass about what mm. she's like. Well, he left these tools around, and it's free mm. real estate, so why not? Yeah, and the thing is, I also think that's a very simplistic way you can have these kinds of stories interact with real world faiths right you can have characters like evelyn's mother who you're clearly meant to hate being derisive of it right and then just kind of Mm -hmm. not talking about it with all of the main characters (laughs) um but i don't know i'm really fascinated with the idea of like um heather doesn't seem to be like a particularly devout worshiper of anything um <laughs> not yet <laughs> oh shush you um but wait i don't even understand where you're going with that even if we were going to talk spoilers but we're not so shush <laughs> As a, y- y- no, you shush. want you to go on no, 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 keep no. talking but it's just the kind of thing where i don't know throwaway lines like this make me think a ton in these kind of urban fantasy stories like yeah what does this look like does is the question like um sorry y'all uh sarah just poked me with dm saying the answer is rain rain is what heather worships and uh, (laughs) anyways i'm rambling on and on i should probably leave off of this for a while but i don't know i just find it very interesting the thought of like actually if you're in the discord and you're devoutly christian i'd actually be fascinated to have an answer to this how would you react if you specifically started learning about this stuff as like real in the real world you live in and how would you integrate that into your faith i'd be really interested to hear the answer i'm always curious about this stuff (laughs) likewise and also like heather's perspective here is interesting as well because like the the eye is the closest thing to a god that heather has encountered that we have encountered as an audience and her reaction to that is that basically like I mean, like, mm-hmm. she hasn't really verbalized this, but, like, the, the sense is that God exists and he has wronged me. Yeah. Um, yeah, the eye is, at best, uh, not benevolent. 
I was going to say maybe a God in the Old Testament sense, if that. <laughs> nah, even, nah, maybe a devil in the Old Testament sense. Mm. Um, well, it's a complicated discussion about whether or not devils exist in the Old Testament, but we're not going there. <laughs> we're already off track enough. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, did you want to move on to the moment outside the library with Twill? Yeah, yeah, we actually need to talk about Twill, who is like the main point of these two chapters. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, first, real quick, when I talk about Twill, um, let's see, where is it? Where's the description of Twill? It, Twill is described as gorgeous. Right, here's the, uh, uh, here's the description. Twill was shockingly beautiful. She was blessed with the sort of porcelain-skinned, angelic face that launched child actor careers or got married to royalty. And that, I'm really glad I'm rereading this because all of my mental images in these characters yeah, got immediately subsumed by the stereotypical image of what their personality type looks like. Evelyn became basically Professor McGonagall's actor. Twill became fairly butch. Just because... She became Rachel. You can say it. From from worm yes a little bit yeah um uh for those who don't know that's just a character who is um non-conventionally attractive of ours don't worry about it non-conventionally attractive woman who wears a lot of leather and uh kicks ass uh in a very blunt way and grunts loudly yeah but twill here for all of her physical aggression and literal werewolf growling she's described as shockingly conventionally beautiful and relatively short too. Yeah. I wanted to dig into the, mm-hmm. the surroundings of that quote there as well. Cause like um, when, mm-hmm. when Heather introduces that, she says, I flinched the sound of um, Twill's growl vibrated the air guttural and barrel chested, not at all like an edgy teenager irritating an animal up close. The effect clashed, clashed because Twill was shockingly beautiful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or got married to royalty, or could bite your head off. Yeah. And that's just, I, I love this study in contrast. That, like you said, the, so much of Twill's character gets subsumed by not only our stereotypes of her, but what she does, mm-hmm. rather than what she looks like. Well, it's almost even lampshaded in the text. There's a part where uh, Heather talks about Evelyn's physical description here where she says, nothing remained of my initial impression, a cuddly girl tucked away with her books. She dispelled that in scant moments. And yeah, the narrative is even recognizing here that your impression of these characters from their physical description really does get buried under how they act. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, speaking of... Uh, physical descriptions back and forth we get a bit of like a spat fest back and forth with twill and evelyn and i find it kind of interesting because first of all neither one of them really talks about their like why twill is here other than saying that evelyn broke some kind of agreement um but good fucking lord it devolves into like elementary school play playground bullshit so quick <laughs> mm-hmm. um or maybe high school like uh courtyard bullshit yeah trying um, to act tough yeah well evelyn seems to directly make some pretty serious class insults about twill 
And then Twill responds back by calling Evelyn a cripple. And I find what happened there really interesting because Heather responds by saying, like, how dare you? And Twill, quote, had almost sense enough to look ashamed. And then she, like, stammers when she tries to, like, snap back. And it's just so interesting how we've got this world of magic and brutal, like, eldritch horrors and nightmares beyond our reality and some brutal trauma that Evelyn just, like, glided past with her mother, right? Mm-hmm. And then our first actual conflict with another, like, source of magic other than uh, Evelyn that's human, that's grounded in this world, is the most petty schoolyard bullshit where both people go back and forth flinging insults that are frankly beneath them and not really to do with the conversation, like, the matter at hand. And it's just... It's ad hominem all the way. Yeah. And the most fascinating thing is that this affects Twill when she gets called out on it. She realizes she went a step too far. And this matters to her, even in the context of this eldritch conflict. (laughs) I also find it interesting that, like, in another aspect from that moment, when you point out, like, when Heather says, how dare you? It's, Mm -hmm. you miss the line from right after that where she says, I heard myself say. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I wanted to note how, like, it's interesting how as as Heather's courage and, and decisiveness starts to assert itself, it is always in service of another person. And even then, it is described as literally something that is happening to her rather than a part of her that she is showing. Mm-hmm. Just little moments yeah. of characterization. We like that. It's, it's excellent writing, yeah. Um, Speaking of excellent writing, there's this entire paragraph right after that scene that I just mm-hmm. wanted to read and poke you with. Yeah, but before we jump to that, you mind if I just finish off with one little thing here? Yeah, yeah. I do find it actually very interesting. Uh, Heather talks a lot about how she worries about how her perspective of Evelyn and Rain might be distorted because they're the only people to talk to her and be somewhat friends with her and give her affection in years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Evelyn is the first one to go like below the belt with the insults. Like She makes an insult like, oh, of course, um, uh, 50 pounds wouldn't be enough to shut your trap, would it? Can you even scrape that much uh, together? Do a whip around for it? She's making some really ugly class denigrations of Twill here and, like, mocking her poverty. And we know that Evelyn comes from at least some form of wealth. She has her own property and appears to not, like, need an income and has enough pull with the university to just basically get her own department where she only turns in a few papers a semester, right? Mm-hmm. Evelyn is going to an ugly fucking place here, right? Yep. And Heather doesn't call her on that one. And it may be because Twill responds by letting out a werewolf growl and that overwhelms Heather's sense a little bit. But it is notable that when the line gets crossed, she snaps it twill over it but not at evelyn and she doesn't notice the difference here for all that heather talks about being deliberately aware of how she's her perceptions are being manipulated by this like bond she's got with evelyn and rain she's 
not immune to propaganda. She's missing. No, of course it. not. I mean, it's. I was going to say the simple answer for that is that mm. she knows Evelyn and she doesn't know Twill. Yeah, it's just the simple like again, school, like elementary school playground. That's mm-hmm. just like Evelyn is her friend and Twill is mean and scary. That's mm-hmm. all that it is. Yep, yep. It's so easy to imagine a scenario um, where she met Twill before she met Evelyn and is having this exact conversation in the opposite direction. We've talked about this in the server, yeah, that there's absolutely a world in which Heather got involved with whatever the hell Twill's deal is instead of Rain and Evelyn. Yeah. Um... Anyways, uh, what happens after there is things escalate to physical violence. <laughs> well, I, I did oh, want to get into paragraph. That oh, sure. one right. paragraph first. Yeah. Um, you think you're so intimidating, I said. The floodgates open now. Swaggering over here and acting like a playground bully. Well, it's not working. I've seen scarier things than you every day of my life. I deal with them before breakfast. You are not scary. I pointed over my shoulder behind Evelyn and I. The thing guarding Evelyn's wonderful little collection of books. That... That is scary. And I faced that down not an hour ago. Now kindly move out of the way, or or what? My tongue had outrun my brain. I was running out of steam. Or I shall insult you some more, you nasty little goblin. <laughs> and just, I just, yeah. I didn't have any comments. I just wanted to read that. <laughs> I, I do think it's interesting, though, because, uh, first of all, Twill is absolutely gobsmacked. And I think it's interesting where Heather says, for one of the first times in my life, I felt big and clever and strong. I knew it was adrenaline-fueled bravado. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just, it's interesting. Again, catalepsis gets down in the mud with petty little human bullshit here. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, I think it's just a very interesting introduction to Heather having her first run in a hostile one especially with one of the members of the cults from around town it's also an interesting parallel to like as we see i would argue like the Mm. longer that we go on in catalepsis the more that heather's instincts during a fight degrade for lack of a better word like not Mm. in the yeah, well, we'll get to that, that later. No, no. That's not something we can discuss better later. No, I wasn't going to comment on anything else. I was just going to say that right here, we're mm-hmm. seeing like first her instinct with like the fight with Evelyn was to call her on her shit and say like, I am a person and that mm-hmm. like you insulting my condition is offensive back in the metaphysics room, right? Mm-hmm. And then here, the second time she's in a similar confrontation, her response is to go elementary school playground insults yeah yeah i mean admittedly she actually does start the first way she basically calls twill out on her bullshit for you're like um uh you're insulting uh evelyn here on a like a deeply personal level which isn't warranted and then later Mm -hmm. she escalates like that yeah um yeah then it escalates straight up to physical violence (laughs) um Twill uh, goes to accost uh, uh, Evelyn and Heather slaps her. And then while she's distracted, uh, Evelyn beats the shit out of her with her cane and breaks her nose. <laughs> In retrospect, I'm amazed that Twill didn't do anything here. Yeah, which says something. I, I was actually going to comment just, I kind of love how absurdly low the stakes are. Like, <laughs> Yeah. 
and there's uh, yelling at Avalon about, you broke her nose. And Twill goes, hey, don't ignore me. We're not done here. And Evelyn just says, she'll be fine. You won't get fine. away with this. And Evelyn just says, she'll be fine as they power walk in the other direction. And Heather's like astonishing. Like they're trying to be all intimidating and strong and they're <laughs> being of a girl in the fucking hallway. Oh yeah. And Heather's just like saying to herself, like, I slapped her. I slapped her. It's just the lowest stakes. Just the lowest possible stakes. Heather is even wondering like, oh my god, we're gonna get detention. <laughs> like, oh my god, girl. Like, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But the thing is, I find it it's refreshingly realistic for urban fantasy, I think. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, because uh, there's, there's a saying I really like, which is um, something along the lines of uh, we are who we establish through repetition, right? Um, mm-hmm. I practice martial arts, and this is something I think about a lot with it, which is most people who don't, who've never practiced martial arts, at least not like, serious sparring martial arts tend to think of this stuff as like stuff you think about cerebrally like while you fight or whatnot right it's not it's practice 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 until you develop instincts about stuff until Mm -hmm. stuff happens faster than you can think right There's, there's no space to think when you're fighting if if you're if you're thinking while you're fighting you're mm-hmm. taking a punch to the face yep and the thing is i think that's true for just most of reality too people tend to th- we think of our behavior as something we can choose in the moment i make a decision to respond to this person in this way i make a decision to do this or do that and it's not like that we establish patterns and instincts through repetition through practice and that's what comes out when the unexpected hits us we do what we are have established the repetition and in this case heather's not a fighter she's lived her life in a world of schooling and exams and authoritarian teachers and so of course she's worried about detention she's in an unexpected situation and so she her brain just immediately goes to what's familiar Yeah. What was that um, study you're saying that's like we make active choices for 10% of our day and the rest is on autopilot? Something like that? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure there's something like that. Yeah. That's not the actual figure, but like it is startling just how much of our decisions and behavior we do not actively consider and choose on a daily basis. It's just something Mm -hmm. that we are used to or have committed to a long time ago. And so it is behavior we are continuing. Yeah. And I just, I like how that that shows in every interpersonal interaction in Catalepsis. People are who they, they are their patterns. All right, so 2.4. Um, I think we already talked about this a fair amount, but 2.4 basically opens right up with uh, Evelyn popping pills. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so here's the thing. I've got to wonder. Evelyn says it's nothing. It's just painkillers, right? Um, mm-hmm. But then Heather says, like, not to mention the pills probably weren't painkillers at all. And something I've got to wonder here is, like, this might just be an American perspective, but my expectation is, yeah, 
of course those are painkillers. Probably prescription painkiller opio opioids and that was my impression as well. Yeah. Like yeah. I, when she said probably not painkillers, I read that as like probably not ones I could get my hands on. Yeah, because I was kind of wondering because I, I have no idea if opioids are as much of a thing in the UK. I mean, I know they're especially a thing in the US, but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I know that a large part of the opioid epidemic was due to the differing laws we have on um, direct to consumer advertising of medication. That is very much a feature of the uh, feature bug in capitalism yeah. in the US <laughs> rather than more internationally. But as to whether, like, to what extent that's an issue in the UK, I couldn't tell you right now. Yeah. It might be interesting to ask some people in the server or maybe even uh, hungry just because um yeah like i said my immediate assumption was oh yeah it's prescription painkillers that's totally what she's going for some kind of tranquilizer um mm -hmm. but uh yeah i'm not 100 percent sure what heather's expectation here is well also like the other question is like do what do like we're we're looking at this through Heather's perspective right and as we see mm -hmm. later like Heather still has some class issues that um she isn't fully aware of kind of that she has to work through, especially mm -hmm. um, we saw that with Twill, right? Earlier. Oh, yeah. Where she called out Twill, but not Evie. And so when she says they're not painkillers, I wonder if she means that literally. We're like, mm -hmm. the, the only yeah, thing I can think of is that. Yeah, Heather doesn't seem like a person with a good idea of what the drug scene is or what it looks like realistically. Right. So, like, when she says probably not painkillers, like, one of my partners has chronic pain and mm -hmm. to some extent um, medicates for that using marijuana. And mm -hmm. so, like, I wonder if something like that would qualify as, like, quote unquote, not painkillers, even mm -hmm. though, functionally speaking, they are being used to treat chronic pain. Yeah. And that is what the prescription is for. Yeah. Well, it, also thinking about how Evelyn might be using uh, them. Um... Uh, one of uh, one of my neighbors, uh, a place I used to live, um, had a uh, chronic pain because of a pinched nerve in her back, and used mm -hmm. uh, opioids to manage it. And the, it was very interesting hearing her talk about it sometimes because her ex husband had a very similar uh, issue, chronic pain because of a uh, work injury, had opioids prescribed to manage it, but they managed that very differently he kind of ended up abusing it much more than she did and it was part of why they broke up um but the interesting thing is one thing she would describe is it's because the pain is constant she would talk about how there can be an impulse to use it when you need clarity because that makes the pain go away and with the pain going away comes mental clarity and emotional clarity but it's a really short, slippery slope from that to using them to manage emotionally difficult situations. And I got to wonder how much of that might be happening here with Evelyn. It's pro this probably isn't the best, um, what's it called? Mm -hmm. the, the best analogy. But um, when I was in high school, um, I got on a course of uh, methylphenidates, which are basically mm -hmm. um, ADHD medication mm -hmm. stimulants. And for those of you not familiar, um, methylphenidates are very chemically similar to methamphetamines with very similar symptoms. They are different. Um, it's not quite street legal meth, but like it's mm -hmm. 
it is close enough that a lot of the same precautions need to be taken. So things like um, blood pressure, or especially it'll kill your appetite if you take them too much, as mm-hmm. it did to me, et cetera, et cetera. But the more, um, the more relevant thing is that I used to take them basically every school day. And that did not do good things to my body. Oh, shit. So you were essentially going on withdrawal every weekend. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I was deliberately trying to do that because otherwise, like mm-hmm. you were saying, if I take them every single day, then it is a very short, slippery slope from that into building tolerance into addiction, into needing them to function. Because well, it is a very um, chemically addictive... Um, well, the, th- the thing my neighbor was talking down. about was how... Um... Uh, tolerance is basically just unfortunately part and parcel of the kind of medication she was using. She was talking about how the risk was not using it regularly, instead using it for specific scenarios to get because because that's how you end up getting it. That's how you create a pattern of using it. Psychological dependence. Yeah, of using it to create clarity and focus and clearing your mind. And I've got to wonder because here's the thing, Evelyn just went for a fairly rapid, not quite run across campus after some physically taxing activity. I'm sure her legs are killing her, right? Mm-hmm. Her hands were trembling because of the adrenaline. She just beat a werewolf up. Yeah. And now she is wanting to do magic. She's writing something on this mirror, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that requires mental focus clarity and calm hands so i'm sure it to some extent makes sense use painkillers of course you should right but i've got to wonder how much that feeds into a generally unhealthy pattern of behavior for evelyn when she is freaked out has an adrenaline rush and is feeling the pain pop a pill and it makes it better yeah, especially if she's gotten through a lot of similar situations in the past by doing so, mm-hmm. even if it's been necessary. Yeah, and it's, I think the thing is, one of the key markers of addiction is if you use drugs to make yourself feel like you can handle social situations better. And mm-hmm. I gotta wonder how much Evelyn does that. Like, if she's gonna meet with a representative of one of the local cults, does she pop a pill beforehand? But then the other thing is like the the unfortunate reality of this is like who on earth is going to be placed in the right position to genuinely call her out on this if she even needs to at all? Yeah, that's a really good question because clearly Rain hasn't and Heather's not saying shit. <laughs> and I don't even know if Rain would have the either the incentives mm-hmm. or the positioning to do that. Yeah. Because, like, for all that Rain has been with Evelyn for a long time um, and been with her through some shit, mm-hmm. it's still, like, Rain, to our knowledge, even, like, even now, to our knowledge, mm-hmm. um, does not live with chronic pain or mm-hmm. certainly not of the kind that would necessitate her taking the drugs that um, Evelyn does. So, like, yeah. if Evelyn would respond to her by saying, like, you have no idea of what I'm going through or what I need to handle this, she's, mm-hmm. she'd be right. Yeah, well, and also, just from what we've seen of Rain so far, I think she would totally be receptive to arguments about, hey, my pain genuinely does limit my capacity and my ability to function. Of course, I need to take extra when we need to deal with some, like, uh, wacky cult shit. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the thing, 
my neighbor would talk to me about sometimes that is scary about having these kinds of chronic pain medications that are particularly addictive it is true that like you're not just taking it for the high you are taking it for stuff which can genuinely benefit you and improve your functioning and that is the exact kind of behavior which can very easily lead to an addiction and I think it's just something. It's part. Yeah. It's part of the issue with um, stopping addiction when people like only consider mm. the the physical component of it. And yes, that is part mm. of it. But the bigger issue is that um, it's the habit that you form around it. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that like you know, if if you want a smoker to quit smoking, it's not just about like oh, well, like take away their cigarettes. It's providing them something else to do every time a situation comes up which they would normally pass or deal with by smoking. Yeah, yeah. And of course the problem with the problem with prescription painkillers is that you can't just take them out of your life and replace them with something else. You always have to have them around. Yeah. Um but anyways, I the reason I just wanted to focus so much time on this, even when we've already talked about it earlier, is I think the narrative here lets it slide into the background. It's super brief. There's like barely even like five or six sentences assigned to this in this chapter right Mm -hmm. we slide past it we don't talk about it again and um, a that's definitely on purpose hungry is definitely doing it on purpose all of the mentions of evelyn's pills so far have slid into the background without much comment it's definitely Mm -hmm. on purpose but also just i think it's worth this is the kind of problem which slides into the background until suddenly it come like causes problems in a big way i think that's definitely something which the story is going for and so it's worth it i think when doing a deep dive to not let it do that <laughs> to grab yeah, hold of sure. every mention and like grab them like little wriggly fish and say no no we stay here stay here we're gonna talk about this <laughs> and especially that's that's part of what characterizes really the early arcs of catalepsy as a whole is that like heather and by mm-hmm. de facto the group at large is so concerned with dealing mm-hmm. with all these individual problems in a very reactionary way mm-hmm. that they cannot afford to make plans or initiatives of their own yet because they're just mm-hmm. trying to deal with whatever the latest crisis is right now. Like even if Heather tried, like noticed immediately what was happening and, and decided, okay, I need to call this out. When would be the appropriate time to do so? That's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> Because like like we could keep bringing this up at the start of every chapter, and there is always another crisis. There's mm-hmm. always something going on, always some new mm-hmm. emergency, some new piece of knowledge that they need to act on, some threat just le- looming around mm-hmm. the corner. And something which is also really relevant is it's really not possible to talk about these kinds of issues with somebody unless they trust you. Because like Evelyn would need to trust Heather to be able to hear her out about this is what my experience is, this is why I need the painkillers and win. And she would have to trust Heather's judgment to say, okay, yeah, that's reasonable, or I think you actually do have a problem anyway, right? No, it's funny you should mention that, actually. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about it, but of the entire cast, the person most familiar with trying different courses of drugs, them having adverse psychological (laughs) effects on her and and physical, like, uh, like like di- difficulties in interacting socially with people causing them to need to rethink their priorities in terms of which drugs they take and when would be Heather. But also there's something very different here, which is that 
none of Heather's drugs ever actually helped her. They were antipsychotics and antischizophrenics for being applied to a kid who wasn't <laughs> schizophrenic or psychotic. Mm-hmm. And those medications have really intense side effects, especially yeah. if they're incorrectly applied. So Heather's experience is, you're right, but also her experience it's the is... the closest they have, but it's still not the same. Yeah, it's totally different. But it, yeah, it's some... Um, oh, what was I going to say here? Uh, I, th- I think the interesting thing is you need this huge level of trust to be able to have this dialogue, right? But by the time you have that level of trust, how many of times are we going to have watched this issue slide by until it's normal to let it yep. slide? Until this also <laughs> brings up other issues. Like, let's say that that conversation did happen, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say that Heather said, like, "Hey, I understand that this is different. I understand that my experience is not yours, but like, since I'm mm-hmm. the closest thing that we have to another person who's gone through this, I want to talk to you about this because I think that this is an issue." And mm-hmm. let's say that Evelyn hears her out at least for like the ten seconds she needs to like start talking about the subject. Mm-hmm. What would their shared commonality be, like? I guess the point that I'm getting at is where does Evelyn get this medication? Do you think she has a GP that she goes to this stuff for? Well, that's or do you a, think that she just but, acquires it? Well, they're, they're unlabeled. So I think the implication is she's acquiring them from some kind of street dealer or, well, she's a rich kid at a college. I'm sure there's, I'm sure that the thing is that like, even if, mm-hmm. even if Heather is trying to talk to her about this stuff, all of her knowledge is from trying to go through the medical system, yeah. which Evelyn is just not doing. Well, this is part of where I think my knowledge as an American is really failing me here, because if this was in the U.S., oh, I would absolutely assume, oh, yeah, without any question, Evelyn is getting uh, street is getting street legal ju- drugs from her GP, and if she's going beyond that prescription, it is probably from buying it off of somebody else who has a prescription mm-hmm. and doesn't need it anymore. Like, yeah, which is totally different situation from buying uh, heavy painkillers or tranquilizers illicitly. It's just totally different dynamic, and I don't know what to expect from her situation. This is probably where we should have done more research before the start of this episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that's probably fair. Well, I'm sure it'll come up again after we've done more research. <laughs> this is true. Um, um but it, moving on from that though, because I think we've spent plenty well, of time. I was just going to oh. note that this 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 subject of self medicating will definitely come up in the future, and not just in regards to Evelyn. <laughs> oh, just a little. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a story about um uh, disability and the trans experience. Self medicating. Can't possibly come up. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, one thing I do find interesting here is um, something Catalepsis calls out. Uh, and I say Catalepsis calls out here, not just Heather calls out, because um, Evelyn says something about how, like, oh, Twill's just an idiot and an irritation. Really, you didn't even need to call Rain. She's essentially harmless. And then Heather's like, you use magic on harmless people? <laughs> Because Evelyn's just been creating whatever offensive magic thing she's making out of the mirror, or defensive magic, or whatever. And I think that's an interesting commentary on just the idea that minimization of force is important. That's not something you often see in fantasy stories or hell literature, period. Mm-hmm. The 
the it's idea. It's really interesting to see Heather's mm. perspective on this, like now as opposed to later. Whereas, mm. like right now, her perspective very much is on minimization of force, and if like, mm -hmm. are you're gonna use this like this strange occult thing, which like she has potentially no way to defend herself against on her without mm. her knowledge or ability to like even know what's happening. Yeah. Um, whereas later a lot more of Heather's concern and the group's concern generally is like, yes, but how visible will it be? Hmm. Oh, survival. Uh, it, it's interesting to see the difference in uh, Evelyn, the veteran's priorities and Heather's priorities right now. But mm -hmm. I, I also just find it interesting that it's a thing which is pointed out at all. The idea that um, against a target who by all appearances currently is deserving, Twilla costed them out of nowhere, uh, tried to attack Evelyn, right? And they just responded. There's a lot of fantasy stories out there where a lethal response would be what is immediately gone to, right? People would be chucking mm -hmm. fireballs and <laughs> stabbing one of those swords over shit like this. But Heather's like, if Twill's not that dangerous, why are you whipping out any kind of weapon, period? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's a continuation of that moment with the tick where... Mm -hmm. Heather is staring at this dead body and thinking, like, what must mm. this thing have gone through to be transported to this strange place and then immediately beaten to death? Yeah, Heather's... Like, mm -hmm. Even, and again, in that situation, that was probably the right and only move they could have made. And it is still mm -hmm. a question of, like, yes, but what was the cost of doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Heather... Again, monstrosity is defined not by what people appear to be, but but by what they do. Yeah. Heather's a good point of view character for that. Um, I'm sure that won't come up later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Is there anything particular you want to talk about next, or should we just go on uh, chronologically? Um, yeah, I mean, you're hitting all my major points, so go on. Yeah. Well, I think one of my major points I wanted to bring up that was just kind of interesting is um, uh, when Rain is kind of eating like a or a, uh, when Ev uh, when Rain is kind of reading uh, Evie the Riot Act about like not calling her and leaving her behind like hey this is exactly what I'm here for this is why we communicate and arrange where like so that I know where you're gonna be because this mm -hmm. shit happens um it says. Rain was in good humor when she did that, and Heather comments that it seems to be genuine, right? That there was relief, perhaps, but from anybody else, she'd have expected shouting, anger, or passive aggression at the very least. I kind of relate to that, because just... Go on! <laughs> well, as a sociopath, it's sometimes difficult to get irritated over this stuff in a way that's proportional. Um, so it's easier to not get irritated at all. Because, like, I don't... It's kind of like, um, how to put it this way? It's like, uh, there's no instinct in my head for like how much social missteps like this, like Evie not telling Rain where she was or anything. It's, I've got no sense of scale for where things should fall on that, for the extent to which I should react, right? And trial and error has taught me about some of it, but practice has also taught me that it's a better bet to lowball it than to just to let it slide basically to be in good humor to laugh it off and to not make any rash judgments about how intensely i should respond because 
I mean, I, I know you're yeah. talking about this specific interaction, but I am finding myself deeply sympathetic with that line of logic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's an autistic yeah, thing, too, like, right? I was going to say, growing up autistic, like, that's a lot of how I learned mm -hmm. to function socially. That, like, it is always mm -hmm. better to get direct con confirmation of something and failing that mm -hmm. to assume that your view of the emotional outcome of a situation is lower than what it actually is. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm, I'm using bad words, but like the, the way that I would um, mostly view this is like, if you think that someone is attracted to you, the mm -hmm. safer option is always to assume that you are wrong until they say something in plain language. Yeah. Because the opportunity cost of acting on it is way worse than the opportunity cost of not saying anything. Yeah. And, and I think with sociopathy particularly, especially when you're a kid, there's an element of, like, I know as a kid there were just, like, a few times when I reacted with kind of casual levels of violence to this kind of stuff. Stuff which at the time I didn't realize was a relevant level of violence, right? Just, like, Heck, it could be anything from like shoving a kid to just like um uh like showing like really aggressive posturing, right? Just stuff which at the time did not register as disproportionate at all, but got hugely responsive reactions from, you know, the adults in charge of me, right? Which taught Right, because me. like for, for neurotypical kids, that would usually be a precursor to much greater violence. And they wouldn't mm -hmm. know that like that is exactly the amount that you would have responded to and no further. Yeah, there's there was that, definitely. And also it was just not realizing how important violence is in our society and how much it matters and how how much it affects the people it's applied to, too. So mm -hmm. after the first couple of times that happened when I was a kid, I just it became a no-go. Right. But but then, of course, there's no sense of sliding proportionality and no real granularity to the scale. So it's go all out or don't go at all. And I can, I can see that in Rain and how she, how casual she is about um, interpersonal relationships and like these reactions, right? And especially how her scale goes from laughing stuff off to, oh, get the beat stick, like get the Billy Club. <laughs> You know, this is more me just kind of speculating in general here, but it's mm -hmm. almost ironic that like the, the way that you're describing this, it almost makes Rain's behavior more off-putting to non-sociopaths than it mm -hmm. would be if she just like, like, I, I'm not mm -hmm. saying that she's wrong to do this. She's absolutely right. But like, it, it almost makes the end result more off-putting to non-sociopaths than who engage mm -hmm. in the exact amount of violence that you think is called for consistently, because mm -hmm. the alternative, as she's displaying here, is that she seems like totally happy and fine until the moment that she beats someone's head in with a tire iron. And there's no yeah. ability for the person involved to distinguish how close she is to that point. I actually got that feedback from some friends I was really close to in college. Um, obviously, I never resorted to the violent level but like specifically I should like, hope not. no yeah, yeah but like i i got a little bit of that feedback which was along the lines of um uh it's important for you to be more like to be more willing to express being upset because otherwise it can come out of nowhere when you 
uh, like the line is yes. finally crossed. And I can see some of that in rain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I can see how that could be a thing. Like you said. Yeah, I think that she's, I think mm-hmm. she's ironically been in a bit of a better position than you were because mm-hmm. I mean, like we won't get too far into this because spoilers, but suffice mm-hmm. to say, Rain has had to employ a lot more of legitimized violence in the course of her growing up than I think you did. Oh yeah. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's very that's clear. Not like a, that's not like a, me saying you had it easy. That's me saying Rain had a really rough go of it for a oh, long that's, time. That's super clear just from what we've seen so far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so because of that, like Heather has some red flags, but is, Deeply, let's say, let's say, um, biased in Rain's favor, just a little bit. Oh, just, and just even a wee she little bit. Recognized very early on, mm-hmm. Rain is eminently capable of violence and is dangerous. Yeah. Even as she recognizes that she's attracted to that, she can mm-hmm. see that, and mm-hmm. I think, ironically, that might make her feel safer. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting. It's interesting how kind of towards the end, um, uh. Evelyn, uh, sorry, Heather told Rain that she slapped Twill, right? And Rain encourages it. She's like, she's like, oh yeah, that's awesome, right? And Heather's trying to say like, don't encourage me. This isn't a behavior which should be encouraged. But then Rain gives her a high five anyways, which turns mm-hmm. Heather into a blushing, stammering mess. But it's interesting God to see. <laughs> God bless the gay little disaster. But I think it's just interesting there to also see how um. Of course, Rain sees this as a thing to high-five over. Like, yeah, great. Coming out of your shell, little one. But it's also interesting how, like, I'm not sure how much of Heather's hesitance to accept this is just default social programming and how much of it is I'm not genuinely not sure I should take this kind of approval from Rain. (laughs) Yeah, I think part of it is also, like, um, Mm -hmm. again, opportunity cost, right? So, mm-hmm. like, from her, like, Heather has never, we don't know for sure. We can only really infer. Mm-hmm. But I would be surprised to know that Heather had had more than a moment of hand-holding or hugging with another girl in her entire life prior to this. Other than oh, her yes. sister and mom. Yes, yes, since she got snatched. Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't Especially, surprise like, me. And she got snatched so young, even before that point. I don't know how much exposure she would have had to that, despite like in a, mm-hmm. in a context of this is with a girl that I like. Yeah. Well, and she mentioned once that um, the uh, inpatient facilities she was in had a large proportion of men. And I think we talked about how that's because uh, yeah, schizophrenia, yeah. Yeah, schizophrenia tends to be more uh, onset in um, uh, earlier onset uh, in human males. So, mm-hmm. yeah. No, the, the point mm-hmm. being that I think a part of that is also her i mean she said over and over like that this girl is like way out of my league and that she's like mm-hmm. probably not interested in me that way and blah 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 so i think a part of that hesitance might just be her trying to convince herself that like this girl is not interested in me and if i do this and i know i will not be able to do this without mm-hmm. having that little bit of hope flare up again that is not going to make it any easier when this finally ends in the way that i know it will yeah, and speaking of that, actually, there's this little line where um, uh, Evelyn's comment about, uh, oh, you're just a damsel in distress to uh, the White Knight, right? Mm-hmm. Where that comes up again. And she says, um, a little voice in my head whispered those damnable words, damsel in distress. I told it to shut up. 
And I kind of don't want to ask you where you think that was coming from. Like, what specifically is it that's bothering Heather there? Do you think? It depends on like what what you're ta- what moment you're talking about, really. Like what in that moment you think. Well, the damsel in distress thing, because like I could see like a bunch of different things. It could be, oh, I don't want to believe that Rain just is using me as like a prop for her white knight complex, right? Or it could be, mm-hmm. I don't want to think of myself as the damsel. Or it could be, like, it could be a, a concern for like am I falling into this relationship which may or may not be like a negative one? So do you want the optimistic take or the realistic one? Both. <laughs> okay, so the optimistic take is that um, Heather's feeling a moment of self-confidence where Rain comes into the room and says like, hey, you called me and you did the right thing. Evie, Evelyn and I have had this mm-hmm. agreement and you are further reinforcing that pattern of affairs. You did a good thing. And so Heather's trying to remind herself like, hey, this is, even though it feels weirdly confrontational, this is a good moment. And Mm -hmm. my participation in this was a net positive here. I am not out of place. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Which is, I think, how Rain... The realistic take is that in this moment, Rain is rubbing Heather's back and it feels good. And Heather mm. does not want to think about why, because she just mm. wants to have this one moment where this pretty girl is making her feel nice, even if she probably doesn't give a shit about her beyond oh. this beyond this this place in her life that she can substitute. So she's telling that voice in her head to shut up, even though she knows in the depth of her of her bones in this in this moment, even if she's wrong, that this is probably what it's going to end up as. She just uh, wants this moment. She wants that five minutes. See, this is why I pulled that quote out for you, because I knew you would get something that I'd missed. <laughs> oh, yeah. damn. Heather's really fucked up. Yeah, I mean, just read the preceding moment. No, <sighs> what's it called? Rain perched mm-hmm. on the arm of, her, of the chair. She started rubbing my back in exactly the right way. No idea how she'd learned so fast. In the space of two weeks, she had already figured out the precise way to melt my muscles. For a few long minutes, she didn't say a word, just needed the tension out of my shoulders. Adrenaline and panic drained away. Rain was here, safe now. She wants that five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. So, also, we haven't talked about it much, but, like, Probably thirty percent of this chapter by volume is um uh lampshading the fact that Twill is a werewolf. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you have anything you wanted to say about that? Because well, and the previous chapter, like yeah, all yeah. of those, all of those dog insults, yeah. Well, and specifically here, well, well, that was heavy-handed foreshadowing. This is like direct lampshading, like fully criticizing mm-hmm. the trope of the werewolf <laughs> that is being brought up and being like, oh, this is just ridiculous. This is full on like. My life is a romance novel. You can't tell me that there's a genuine goddamn werewolf running around. This is ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. And I was wondering what you thought of that. So I'm struggling to, mm-hmm. like, like the, the part of me that is, like, trying to dig into the literary analysis, mm-hmm. balanced with the half of me that knows you know that I read Twilight fan fiction and is very <laughs> angry at you for calling me out in public. That was this. on purpose. <laughs> Oh my! You gosh, just 
that was not on purpose. You just hung your whole ass out on the podcast. It, it had oh, nothing to do with me. <laughs> and anyone would have known if they talked to me long enough. <laughs> I didn't until you just straight up told me. You recommended it to me. I recommended a, a Twilight fanfic to you once, which could only generously be called a fanfic. And you were the one who responded by giving me a whole list of actual Twilight fanfics you really enjoyed and wanted me to read, too. You, the point is that you knew, we're, we're not talking about those. Anyways. <laughs> um, so given that, I think it's my perspective is almost more similar to Evelyn's. Mm. And granted, part of that is that like at this point, Twill has been a character for long enough that it doesn't mm -hmm. seem strange to me anymore. But I'm honestly kind of like, so you mean to tell me that you and your twin sister were like dropped into hellish wonderland when you were nine years old and spirited away into this like mm -hmm. crazy dimension with this eye that split the surface of the sky and where you draw the line is in one of your pretty friends being perhaps a little bit more furry than you had originally thought. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. It, that's that's not where I would have been like, oh no, this is too much. Well, it's because werewolves are stereotypical. Oh. And the rest of this isn't? Eh. The, 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 like... I mean, to be fair, actually... The, the things that Heather has had to face up until this point... Well, they've not been, the way that she's dealt with them. They've the been things very, themselves. They've been Lovecraftian. I think there's a big... Lovecraft is, like its own it's like a very niche genre in a lot of ways whereas werewolves are i mean werewolves show up on like the lovingly abbed covers of romance novels all the time Look, let's be real heather's life is already a D, &D campaign this is not <clears throat> the strangest thing to happen to her uh oh yeah i don't have much to say about it, uh to be honest uh which is why i was asking it's good you, writing because... it's hilarious um, yeah, but well, like it's more than that. I'm just kind of with Heather up with um, Evelyn yeah. on this one. Well, funnily enough, it's not quite to my taste. I tend to not be much of a fan of internal lampshading in stories, but it's also the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, it's done well for what it is. Not my thing. Also, I think it, right, it kind of needs to be addressed because again, Heather is coming at this from an outside perspective. So like, at yeah. some point, like I would expect a similar reaction to her if like a vampire showed up. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, Oh, yeah, it is well done. I think it. The lamp shining happens for like a good amount of time. It doesn't overstay its welcome. All right. So, with that, I think there's only two more things I wanted to talk about in this chapter. Did you have anything else, or? Not good. All right. Uh, the last couple things are just real quick. Is um, there is of course the perfect Heather moment where um, Heather responds to learning about uh the Brinkwood cult that Twill is a part of by going, "That piqued my interest for real. These people had history." local history and she immediately asked evelyn how old <laughs> i'm just like of course that gets heather interested but the only way you could have like activated her inner nerd any further is like they have books <laughs> yeah which she just got her book fix <laughs> um but i i just wanted to mention that because i think it's good writing from uh hungry like it can be very difficult in stories to find ways to slip in the little characterizing details about like your characters to make them people outside of the context of the story. Hungry's just really good at slipping that in. Actually, see, so this is both a funny moment mm -hmm. and a bit of this legitimate good characters good character mm -hmm. moment. 
um, when you mentioned that, like, Heather is um, talking about, like, the lampshading with werewolves earlier, and she literally says, when did I end up in a bad supernatural romance novel? That means that she has read that. <laughs> Look, Twilight's popular enough that I don't think you have, to have actually read it to be able to follow this. I, she is aware enough of it. She's a lit nerd. She has read at least one. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Actually, she's but probably the, like, read the classics. So, like, for one, it is funny. Mm -hmm. But also, like, legitimately, like, she's a book nerd. Mm -hmm. It shows. Heather's totally read the original Carmilla, hasn't she? Give it 50-50 odds. Really? Only 50-50? Yeah, I mean, like, it's difficult to say because I need to know exactly when her fixation on, um on literature and stuff came in if it was oh, like yeah. in high school or mostly started in college because if it was mostly the latter i'd expect mm -hmm. academic work to like take up oh, a large yeah. amount of her interest so couldn't uh, say. for those who don't know by the way carmilla is like the vampire novel like the original one which predates like bram stoker's dracula um it's about as gay as you could get for the time period <laughs> And it's 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 very lesbians. <laughs> um, there have been several explicitly gay remakes and adaptations of it since. Um, One on, I need to find a good like modern adaptation of that that like actually, you know, does the thing. Well, the, Anyways, there's there's there. the YouTube series, right? You familiar with that? No. Holy shit! Really? Well, actually, later. No, the, the audience would want to know about this too. There is a um. There's a YouTube series you could find about Carmilla, uh, spelled C-A-R-M-I-L-L-A. Um, I should probably be able to look it up just by like Carmilla YouTube series. It is about a modern college AU, uh, college roommate AU adaptation of Carmilla. I don't have time. <laughs> I've already like ca there's catalepsis in this podcast and like ten million other. I don't have time. <laughs> Uh, I'm not apologizing. <laughs> no, of course you won't. Anyways, you had this other thing in this chapter. Oh yeah, the la one last thing was just a little short thing, which was um, uh, where Evelyn says something along the lines of like um, uh, you're right, Heather. I was scared, but only because Twill caught us off guard. She won't be doing that again. And my immediate reaction when reading was, you can't guarantee that, Evelyn. That's the thing about being caught off guard. You can't guarantee you won't be caught off guard. <laughs> Especially when someone just caught you off guard. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, I just, this is a really so, a big piece of characterization of Evelyn early in the story. She is repeatedly making assumptions and being overly confident when it comes to the magical world and her own power. And it's repeatedly biting her in the ass. <laughs> yep. But I think that's about all I've got, to be honest. Um, I had one note on good writing oh, at the very oh, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is in 2.3. It's another character moment, but it's also just like some fantastic prose. This is in regards to um, the note from, I believe, Professor Wilson, who had the book on hyperdimensional mathematics from earlier. Mm -hmm. um, History bled from the page, soaked into my fingers, and stole into my heart. It's good writing. Just, I, I don't, I'm not even going to say anything. It's just, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Also, actually, that brings up another thing about Evelyn being overconfident. <laughs> Evelyn uh -huh, says to Heather on. that she's unique, right? But there's 
a random guy who just happened to work at this specific university who had a freaking text on this exact kind of self-implementing hyperdimensional mathematics. He may not mm -hmm. have been good at it, but he had a text. To be like, fair, he... we don't we don't know how much of that was just theory crafting on the existence of it and whether mm -hmm. or not he was actually able to do any of it himself. It's real enough that Heather can learn something from looking at it. Yeah, but there's also the the implication that like the reason why this is a dusty old book in Evelyn's library is that no one else has been able to make heads or tails of, what, of whatever the fuck he was talking about until now. True, but I, I think part of the relevant point that, well, I think he eventually disappeared, right? Implying that he got it to work and it went bad. <laughs> or one of the other 10 million things that could have happened to somebody studying these subjects. Yeah, but the point is, though, is I think Evelyn is super confident when she says Heather is unique, right? Yes. But I to keep hammering this point, I don't think we have any reason to actually believe that's true. In that, you are correct. I think mm -hmm. this this actual, like, I think it is somewhat ambiguous is this being a specific example of that. But mm -hmm. I think on the whole, you are absolutely right. And that, yeah. like, for instance, I, I think it is mm -hmm. un, unquestionable that wherever Maisie is, whether or not she is dead at this point, we don't know. Mm -hmm. But, like, if Maisie was alive she would absolutely be able to do everything that Heather yeah. can, and probably more. Yeah, well, and not just that. It's just the idea of that, like, Evelyn, <laughs> she needs somebody to tell her that there is more uh, uh, in uh, the heavens and earth than exists within your philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Um, because she's got this guy right here who wrote up, like, an entire branch of magic, which she... Get, like thought was bumpkiss until heather came along right mm -hmm. first of all how many other branches of magic are there where she's assumed that which wasn't really real right mm -hmm. how many other people around the world might have come on the same discovery but actually followed it through to a useful conclusion how many people are there like heather who got like a sponsor via the eye or something similar right just evelyn is super confident about her statements and she's basing it off very little also, it's a big just... part of her character here this also implies that the eye is the only one doing this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is a scary thought. Yeah, we don't really have much reference of how the eye fits in in regards to the other things outside, other than that it is very bad. But in mm -hmm. terms of, like, the hierarchy of similar things, like... Well, we're told there were hundreds of thousands of things in Wonderland slaving under the eye, so it is... Yes, but I guess the point that I'm trying to get at is, like, if there were another thing that were mm. as bad or worse than the eye, the last thing you do is bring up this, the two things in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, You'd have a enough. very specific incentive to not say anything. Because yeah. unlike with, like, he who, not, who, he who must not be named being Voldemort, saying the names of these things can very much get you on their shit list. Yeah, that's true. Also, actually, or even worse, physically bring them into the room with you. Yeah. Also, just a quick comment. I think it's worth noting that um, I mentioned earlier, like the eye supposedly had hundreds of things and slaves to its will, like in Wonderland where Heather went. Right. Mm -hmm. It's worth noting that from the perspective of an amoeba, we would be empires of untold control and enslavement. <laughs> Mm -hmm. they, I mean, they wouldn't even be able to process what we were because that, like, even mm -hmm. saying that we would be like the eye is an understatement because we would more be like the ground. 
Well, it's implied that the eye is also like Wonderland to some extent, right? It is the earth and I need to reread those sections. I'm not sure how I I wouldn't be surprised, but that's not what I got from reading it at the time. Although I definitely would believe that that's something I could have missed. Well, I don't think it's necessarily the eye is the ground too, but so much is like there is no meaningful there's no meaningful way anything can exist in Wonderland without being so thoroughly under the eye's control that it might as well be part oh, of Oh, that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I more meant like the Wonderland existing as a physical manifestation of the eye itself. Oh, yeah, not quite. Or, I, mean, I don't maybe. know, maybe it's something like fingernails. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's an idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Catalysis is good with that stuff. Um, anyways, I think that's about it for today. Yeah, I right. think so. Um, like we said, sponsored by Horny Gay Thoughts Incorporated. More to come on that, I'm sure. <laughs> yep. And uh, as usual, the intro and outro music is Celestial Experiments by Tyler River. And the art is Noctilla at noctilla.art. Yep. And we'll see you all next week for, I'm sure, somehow a situation that has gotten gotten worse in the time since we've been gone. <laughs> and hopefully the scheduling will be better on my end on account of, you know, not being horribly sick. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, see you all soon. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>